At the end of it all, there's not much to do other than pity the heroine of this tale. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information, a summary, a theme, a synopsis, some takeaways. And indeed, we do have some sad themes, some haunting themes from today. It is Tess of the Durbervals by Thomas Hardy. So this book was published in 1891 and is about 480 pages in length if you include the notes and introductions and things like that. And probably took me about eight hours to get through in total. It's a realistic tale of a continually unfortunate country girl set in Victorian England. So about the 1800s period, if you want to think of it that way. Her name is Tess Derbyfield and she's a milkmaid from a very poor family. And basically she finds out she has some ancestral um, people living in the valley over, the Derbivals, uh, which her name is kind of a derivation of. And she goes there, she basically gets wronged by this guy called Alex Derbival, who's a 26-year-old wealthy landowner somewhat. And you know, some unfortunate things happen and she has to continue on with her life. She meets another man later on called Angel Claire, who she falls in love with. And they, you know, he's a gentleman and, and she gets treated right by him. But once again, there's just these continual mishaps, these misfortunes that before her ultimately ending up into a very sad kind of love triangle with a very, very tragic end. So what will you find in this book? Well, many a theme occurs in there's poverty, there's love, there's religion, there's morality, there's purity, there's sex. There's class divides, there's education, all of these are somewhat mm, melded together and, you know, it's the morality of love, it's the morality of religion and things like this which, are, which occur. So the book itself is very poetic. Thomas Hardy was a, a somewhat of a poet as well and so a lot of the descriptions, the languages are about the, the, the fields, the valleys, the rivers, the you know, ancestral homes, all of this, the inner emotions, the, the tears rolling down the cheeks and, and whatnot. He's very, very descriptive with, the, with his language. And it's, although the book is fictional, uh, it's kind of based on realistic places as well. So Wessex, the, the county, uh, a lot of the actual locations are related to places. They end up going to Stonehenge at one point, which is a real location. So it's kind of this melding of, of the realistic with made up places, but also realistic somewhat as well. Now, there's seven phases that the book goes through, and I guess you could call these the chapters if you want. So we have phase the first, the maiden, phase the second, maiden no more, phase the third, the rally, phase the fourth, the consequence, phase the fifth, the woman pays, phase the sixth, the convent, and phase the seventh, fulfillment. So really does kind of play on these religious themes, even with the chapters as we hear it there. I'm going to talk a little bit about Thomas Hardy. Who is he? Why is this book somewhat interesting or important? Well, he was a middle-class writer, and as I mentioned, he published in the 1891, so he was um, born in the eight, mid-1800s. And he was very aware of class divisions. He was somewhat educated but didn't get a university education, and he wrote a lot on themes and concepts related to this Victorian age and, in particular, fighting against them or at least writing critical pieces that brought it to the public consciousness. So this is around education, around sex, around morality, around religion and class divides, things like that. 
This book, as many, uh, Test of the Durables, was very hard to publish, so it got published in installments. There was a lot of alterations and different things that, you know, he had to write or had to cut out, and then in later versions, he could put them in. And so it depends on which version you have. I believe I have the 1974 published version by, uh, what was this called? The New Wessex Edition, published by Macmillan, London, LTD, 1974. So... That is the version that I have in particular. I'm going to jump onto the first theme now, which is misfortune, fates that can be worse than death. And so if you had to describe the life of Tess, you would just say hardship. From beginning to end, it is just a series of just mishaps. She was born into poverty. Her parents were you know, uneducated, making bad decisions, drunkards slash not caring slash having, you know, seven children, that sort of deal. When she goes to this ancestral home, it's not particularly implied, um, but you can see basically she was raped. And if not, it's very hard to put a charitable spin on what happened to her. A high level of coercion, um, uh, of unwilling coercion. Let's just put it that way. Uh, she's worked to the bone in, in these fields afterwards, doing this very hard work. Um, you know, getting out Swedes from the frozen ground, continually putting, um, I believe it was wheat or chaff into this machine, which would grind it up or bundle it. It was kind of hard to know exactly. Um, humiliated, despised by many a people and ultimately uh, killed. And so every time that she gets these little brief moments of joy um, when she was a youngster and, and dancing in this field, she has this beauty of, about her, which attracts people in but it's kind of attracting the wrong type of people in in many a way and when she goes to this this uh, dairy farm and she meets angel for the first time she has this kind of wondrous almost utopic um, type of of deal going on there but once again this must end the, the seasons change and life must go on and each of these is just a taster for more misery that is to come so her her main misfortune i think is she has something happen to her which just can't be forgotten, which is basically losing her virginity, She with, not to her husband. And so she's kind of a, um, you know, an unmarried woman who's had sex. This is in Victorian England, a big no-no and, and, and basically reasons for social outcasting, no matter your level of class. And so her, her luck, I guess, if you call it in that or unluck was... She couldn't forgive this of herself. Her husband couldn't forgive it and society couldn't forgive it. And there was just this real lack of care or, or wouldn't be able to, to forgive her. And so we see this on page 284 where she's, she's just married Angel and um, they, they kind of confess to each other. You know, he slept around um, when he had this little phase. And then she's like, look, I basically um, had this incident occur to me. Once again, we're, done, we're not really sure if it's a rape or not, but, um, you know, she says basically I've, I've, I've lost my virginity. And so uh, we go to this section here. So she broke into sobs and turned her back to him. It would almost have one round any ma man but Angel Clare. Within the remote depths of his constitution, so gentle and affectionate as he was in general, there lay hidden a hard logical deposit, like a vein of metal in a soft loam, which turned the edge of everything that attempted to traverse it. It had blocked his acceptance of the church, it blocked his acceptance of Tess. Moreover, his affection itself was less fire than radiance, and with regards to the other sex, when he ceased to believe, he ceased to follow, contrasting in this the many with this 
in this with many impression, impressionable natures who remained sensuously infatuated with what they intellectually despise. He waited till her sobbing ceased. And then he goes on to basically say, like, I, res- I still respect, I, I, you're a respectable woman, but I can't accept you kind of out of principle. And this principle being, you know, he needs a, an un, unsullied virgin wife, essentially. And this is where we're getting into these, like, what, what is it that makes up misfortune? How, do, what are the big factors and big decisions that are, are made by people? And so we see in the big factors, most of it is, is kind of coming from things outside of people's control. So in, in Tessa's case, this is the, her, her just poverty and the size of her family. And in Angel's case, it's, it's the societal expectations. You know, he had a pastor as a, uh, as a father. Both of his brothers are pastors. He's kind of expected to go down this, this route. And both of them, I think, make decisions that were roughly the right ones. She cared a lot about her family, and so she made decisions where she was trying to provide for them. He made decisions to defy societal expectations and what he thought was the right thing to do. In this case, it is to not go into the church and kind of distance himself from religion and to, by and large, defy society expectations. He has contempt for ancestral names and 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 respect that hasn't been earned or by a personal, by their morality and, and is instead of an institution or something like that. So we see in the large part, they, they make the right decisions. Their misfortune on the big factors are not due to them uh, not caring about their family or um, you know selling their soul just to appease their father or things like this. No, they, they make the right ones. And then you can analyze these small decisions that happen where uh, Tess, for example, if she had held or loosened her pride, uh, she, she could have had better outcomes. So in, in one case, if she'd held on to her pride and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go to the herbivores to, to beg them for money, she would have never met Alec and she would have never been raped. Um, and, and on the other case, if she'd loosened her pride later on in the novel and she'd gone to the Claire's, to her husband's family and, and basically said, look, I'm destitute. Um, this is what happened to me. Can you help me? And we would have seen, oh, yes, they, they would have been able to help her and she would have had a, a much more happier ending, presumably. We can't predict the future. <laughs> on Claire's part, we also see, as I just mentioned from that page 284, uh, when he is kind of hardened his heart against her and he's, he's following this um, ingrained thing which he hasn't examined, which is I need to have an unsullied wife. He doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't care about the circumstances. He doesn't care that, you know, it, it wasn't her fault. She did everything she could to, to push away this Alec person who she had no love for, who she despised. And yet a bad thing happened to her. He had no compassion, no pity for that. There was no understanding on his part, even though he had broken other societal expectations related to the church and education and class divisions and things like this. So you can see on these, on the big factors, they did the right thing, I'd say, but on these very small ones, it's like, yeah, okay, well, it would have been good if, if she'd done this or if he'd done that, um, perhaps things would have changed differently, but there's such minor decisions in the, in the grand scheme of their lives. Which is getting on to the second theme now, which is injustice. And I put this, the intolerable sorrow. So on balance, you would say they, they both 
lived, they were both good people. They both lived lives and that they were both relatively hard done by, but especially Tess because this book is is, um, centered upon her. So we see that she is driven just further and further into desperation by her circumstances and there does there is this feeling of injustice about it and so coming on to the top of page 405 she's basically being recorded by Alec de Herbeville when he finds her again and and kind of falls in love with her beauty and and wants wants her for himself even though he's you know a, a jackass and arrogant piece of shit and she's working herself to the bone, just trying to provide for herself and, and somewhat for her family. And she's, she writes to a, a letter to her husband who's gone overseas to Brazil um, and kind of out of shun for her just to get away from her because he doesn't want to see her anymore, this sort of deal. And so uh, coming to the section, never in her life, she could swear it from the bottom of her, of her soul had she ever intended to do wrong. Yet these hard judgments had come. Whatever her sins, they were not sins of intention, but of inadvertence. And why should she have been punished so persistently? She passionately scribed the, uh, seized the first piece of paper that came to hand and scribbled the following lines. Oh, why have you treated me so monstrously, angel? I do not deserve it. I have thought it all over carefully, and I can never, never forgive you. You know that I did not intend to wrong you. Why have you wronged so wronged me? You are cruel, cruel indeed. I will try to forget you. It is all injustice I have received at your hands. T. So she brings up this word injustice. She has indeed, to her utmost, tried to be the best person. And from what we read in the book and the way she's presented, you go, yeah, she was by and large a, a, a righteous person. She, you know, she wasn't uh, trying to harm people. Every opportunity she had to do good to others, she did do good. And yet, it is just blow by blow, bam, 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 continually, continually happening to her. And it seems what to be a spiral as well. Once the injustice occurs, it's it's kind of like, you know, that's the way the universe works. You, you've had a little taste of some injustice here. How about you try this on for size? And we just see this, even though she's so relatively young, I, I, I think she gets to the age of about 20 in the book. Uh, it, it doesn't stop. And it's... It's just continual. And this is somewhat of a recurring theme um, in the Age of Alexander by Plutarch that I did a book review on not too long ago. We did see this as well. Bad things can happen to good people. There is no, just because you are a good, because you have good intentions, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to have a good life. And I mean, what what do you take from this? How how can you change this? What What can you take away? I don't think anyone particularly wants to be the martyr. Uh, so this is the, that idea of of being that person who takes the injustice all upon themselves, that kind of Christ-like um, depiction or that analogy where one person takes the sins of the entire world, that sort of deal. Uh, you know, I, I think by and large people don't want that, but yet it's almost like the highlighting of martyrs is the answer. So Hardy, for example, in in what he did, and you know, I don't know the historical context really deeply, but it did seem that his works contributed to the changing of Victorian England. There is a reason we don't have Victorian England morals today here in Australia. You know, an offshoot of of England, and, and we did at one point, and that's because people like. Hardy would write these tales of of someone who's been done so severely wrong, just like Tess has. And we see, oh, that, you know, whatever our thoughts are, what do you make of this 
tale of this exception. And the reason this book is so popular and, and he became a very well-known writer is because there's elements of truth to this. It's fictional, yet there's nothing in this tale that is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's very straightforward and you go, I can see those series of events happening or something similar to that. Does she deserve to be shunned and punished and have this ultimate untie, uh, this death, um, you know, being executed for killing Alec? Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, does she does she deserve the the balance of her life? Did she deserve this? And you go, no, no, that's really fucked up. And yet, that is what the societal expectations, the the uh, morality of the time was, and so yeah, it's it's. Um, it seems like the highlighting it's the way to to get around these things or at least um that's that's the answer to injustice and perhaps some laws and things like that but that's not particularly part of this book so let's get on to my own observations and takeaways well the writing for this is just beautiful i'm going to jump to page 131 now and this is where she has uh, she's pregnant and uh, gives birth to a baby by by Alec from that rape that occurred and she's gone back to her own hometown and she's kind of you know given birth to this baby and yet the baby is is rather sickly and um and it's not doing so good and so we get to the point where unfortunately the child has passed away and the child's name is Sorrow and so so passed away sorrow the undesired that intrusive creature that bastard gift of shameless nature who respects not the social law a waif to whom eternal time had been a matter of days merely who knew not that such things as years and centuries ever were to whom the cottage interior was the universe the week's weather climate newborn babyhood human existence and the instinct to suck human knowledge i don't know there's many a passage in this where i I read things like that and it it cuts to the bone you just go damn it fuck this poor baby you know this poor baby never had a chance never would have a chance even if it grew up you know the the chances of it having a a a nice life were were just going to be the odds were not in a in its favor you know a poverty a poverty stricken mother with a large family um of of siblings uh he's born out of wedlock to a mysterious father who is even if he was a good um you know a a gentleman he's a bad person and you know do you want a bad person as your father that sort of deal um throughout this book throughout this book you find yourself rooting for tess like come on just get a break you know she's gotten to this this dairy maid and she's she's going to marry angel oh okay this is beautiful like please please just make it happen and yet 20 pages further on you see the coming oh shit like it's gonna get worse for her again a small little break or perhaps she can um you know get uh help from her her husband's family whilst he's in brazil and whilst um she's going through this incredible hardship she goes to the you know she goes to them and then just before she enters you know they're away or and then she encounters their siblings or, or the you know part of the family and they're making fun of of her husband or her and you know it would, it would cast a really bad light on her husband you know she does all these right things and it's just blow 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 and you you can't help but empathize with her and just go this is so fucked up what the and and it makes you sad <laughs> like reading this book will will not put you in a an uplifting mood because a, a a wrong a good person has uh, wrong done to them and many a wrong done to them so 
onto the beauty and what, you know, part of this comes from, I guess, the techniques in the book. So he does use a fair uh, amount of, of quotes from Shakespeare to illustrate a point of poetry, of even biblical quotes and, and things like that. And so the notes section that I had at the end of this version, I found very helpful because many uh, words in particular are from that you know, 1800 period where it's a rural uh, terminology related to um, cutting or milking or a piece of machinery or um, a, a common expression from that day and age. So you go, it, it's very helpful to have a note section and I, I would um, highly recommend finding a, a version which does have a note section because I found it rather invaluable. So in summary, it's a brilliant but ultimately hauntingly sad tale. Uh, every break Tess gets just seems to punish her further by having this contrast of a nice blissful time followed by you know, a year of agony. The blame for her misfortune is, is rather mixed across people, herself, her husband, uh, Alec, and across society itself. But I don't think there's any doubt that an injustice has been done. And what can you do from this? There's nothing really to do, but perhaps for you as a listener or as, as the reader at home to to ponder about maybe some of your own moral precepts and, and why you hold this thing. And it could be something related to virginity or whatnot and examine that. And I would just say in general, err on the side of compassion. So if you do encounter someone like Tess who um, has had, you know, has been raped and whatnot, you know, probably erring on the side of compassion, no matter your views on, um, virginity or or um, whatever it may be I, I just think that's a, a good general strategy because injustice does occur in this um, day in this planet in this day and age in the 1800s and most likely will inc- uh, continue to occur for the future and future and um, yeah there's not much to do apart from highlighting it and showing some compassion so overall Test of the Herbivores by Thomas Hardy. I'm going to give it a very solid 7.5 out of 10. I yeah, definitely would recommend reading it, but maybe not do it if you're in a bit of a bad mood because it, it, it will, it's sad. It's a sad tale. And that is it for today, my Mimortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Test of the Herbivores, on Thomas Hardy, on Misfortune, on Injustice? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is by sending in a Boostergram. So Boostergram is a message with a payment of Satoshis or Bitcoin attached to it. You can do this in many cool apps, podcasting apps, such as directly within the app, such as Fountain or Breeze or Castomatic. Podverse is also good. And I highly recommend going over to one of those apps because not only will you be able to help support me from there, but there's a better experience there. So I include links to all of the chapters in there. You'll see different chapter art appearing on your screen as I'm reading the book review and talking about these things. And the experience is just much, much better. And like I said, uh, there's a value for value podcast. If you want to help support, you could share this with a friend who loves book reviews. If you have additional knowledge, perhaps things I've missed or uh, suggestions to improving the channel or the, the book reviews, um, I would love to know those. And you can send that in just in whatever means you want via Instagram, Facebook, Discord, whatnot. And then also you can monetarily, monetarily support the podcast 
by going to one of those apps and sending some satoshis my way because this does involve a fair bit of effort, a bit of money to for the hosting and whatnot. And I really appreciate that and read those out on the end of month book recaps. And so can if you have any questions and things like that and you think it'd be good for the general audience, send it in that way and it, it makes it onto the actual show, that interactive element, which is really, really fun. So I do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever wherever the be in Victorian England, across the world. And until the next time, ciao for now, Kyron out. <laughs>